Um, but we're going to really apply it tonight about uh, looking at the process of what it meant to walk, uh, to, to walk through the pieces and the significance of that, not just saying again tonight that it's involved in the covenant process, but what does that look like now for us? Now, we know it was the process God utilized to initiate to the covenant process with Abram, and we know that it had huge implications on the meaning of God's role in covenant and Abram's role in covenant, but what does it mean for us right now? Um, is it just an Old Testament process that's gone by that we can ju that just kind of um, uh, heightens our senses to covenant, or does it still have a meaning for our life? So, what does what does walking into death look like for us in 2020? We'll get to that in just a second. If you remember last week. Just a little bit of a recap, um, kind of walking back a little bit to see where we were. Um, we talked about the, how covenant is a solemn binding agreement. The binding agreement happens with God himself. And uh, as you'll see tonight, God is the one who binds himself to us through covenant. And it's God's choice. It's God's choice to create the world. It's God's choice to, to put in a sacrificial system. It was God's choice to talk to us through prophets. It was God's choice, ultimately, to go to the cross for us. And it's God's choice to start the church. It's God's choice one day is going to be to return and receive us to, us, to himself. But in, in that whole process we saw last week of this, this binding agreement, and it kind of came to a head at the Lord's Supper table again last week that we talked about. And it was a, a serious event. I don't know if you've ever told anybody this before, but you, when, you, when you talk to somebody and they really aren't taking you serious, and, you, and what do you say to them? No, I'm dead serious, right? I'm deadly serious about this. That's what we kind of say. And, and this, it, I mean, literally, God was dead serious about this. This had huge significance, this Lord's Supper. And uh, again, I've talked many, many times around this table and the elements of it. It was a serious event. It just, it was, there was... All right, all right, guys, there's no, no playing around anymore. This is serious. It's game time. We're all gathered around the table, and you really have to um, take this seriously. And, and we talked about 1 Corinthians 11 last week, where Paul, in his day, had to call out the church at Corinth because they were using the Lord's Supper event as a love feast. They were getting drunk. They were gorging themselves in, in good food. And, and what happens was they were, they were even breaking in front of each other, weren't serving each other. They were pushing each other to the side. They were treating each other terribly at this worship event. And they, then they would kind of tag the Lord's Supper, if you will, or communion onto the end or in the middle of that. And it just had no significance to them anymore. Sometimes that happens in our churches where we just tag it onto the end of a service. It has no significance. We're supposed to do it every fifth Sunday or whatever. But it was a serious event. And... That's why God tells us to remember um, the sacrifice, remember his covenant when we come around the table. Um, we asked the question last week, what have you learned about the seriousness of being in covenant with God? What is this teaching you, and how should you respond appropriately? One of the ways that we see this concept of a walk into death for us is Jesus' Jesus's challenge to us when he talks about us becoming a follower of him, Okay, not just a churchgoer, not just a Christian by name, but a follower of him. And, and what Jesus said to his disciples here in Mark chapter 8, and says it in the other Gospels as well, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, to follow me, 
He must deny himself and take up his cross. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now that's kind of a, a joint paraphrase here of these couple of verses. But he says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself or die to yourself. One of the verses we'll look at a little bit later tonight is Galatians 2.20 that says, I am, what, crucified with Christ. All right? I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life, uh, life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I'm crucified. Just as Jesus was physically crucified on the cross, I am now spiritually crucified to this sinfulness and to, to my, my own life. And Jesus even said it himself. You have to put yourself away. You have to put yourself away. You have to die to yourself and then take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was implying that he was about to take up his cross. And when Jesus came to earth, it just wasn't just to be a popular political or religious figure. But when he came to earth, he was on mission for the Father. As a matter of fact, that's why I say over and over and again, we kind of put ourselves in the center of the gospel sometimes. When we say, hey, it was all about me. God couldn't, I can't really, man, it really gets all over me sometimes when you hear people say this, when it says, man, God just couldn't stand the thought of being alone, so he came after me. Listen, folks, God was completely and utterly fine without us. Let us not put ourselves in high importance when it comes to the gospel, okay? Now, we are important. I'm not trying to say that. I've said that many, many different times. But when we think about Jesus' mission, when he took up his cross, that was his mission. He says what? Many, many times he said, I came to do the will of of the Father. Now again, we benefited from him being obedient to the will of the Father. He denied himself, he took up his cross, and now he's asking us to do the same, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He, uh, Jesus uses the language of us losing our life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, and if we will do that, then we will say it. Now here again, if you remember back to this process of covenant, this word bereath, in the Hebrew, it means um, covenant. It's a compact or an agreement made by passing through pieces of flesh. Passing through pieces of flesh. Jeremiah 34. Turn back there, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 34. I'm going to kind of look back at that couple of verses really quickly. This process of entering into covenant with each other, this illustration, if you will. Jeremiah 34, 34, beginning in verse 18. It says, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. So this refers to that process. There was a process of covenant where a calf was killed, and it was divided into to two parts, just like Abram had, had done, and they would have passed through these parts together. And they were making this solemn promise, this binding agreement again to each other, um, to, to whatever they were promising. And again, this was 
promising to, to the Lord, uh, we, we, we will keep your covenant, O Lord. And the Lord says this, though, but remember, I'm the covenant keeper. It, it's my covenant. You can't recreate this thing. You can't recreate this thing to put it in your own terms. And that's what the church sometimes tries to do. This culture is trying to do. We're trying to rewrite this to say, hey, God is love. He loves us no matter what we do in this life. Now, okay, yeah, but be careful when you say that. I got, that's, a, that's a wide open statement at the end. Because at the same time, as we saw around the Lord's Supper table, God takes sin seriously. He takes sin deadly seriously. And he, it says here that he, if, in this process, that because they, if they did not keep the covenant, I'm going to hand them over to their enemies. All right, so that, that uh, process of Genesis 15 comes out again. Another illustration of one actually passing through pieces of flesh when making a covenant. Okay, that's another example outside of Genesis 15. Now, when you think about Genesis 15, flip back over there for a little bit. Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember what Abram's proposal was his alternative proposal to the, to the Lord was to have a son. What was his proposal? Do you remember? God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abram says, okay, Lord, well, I don't have any kids. How am I going to have a son? How did Abram try to jump ahead of God? What was his idea? What was his alternative plan? Yeah. Eliezer of Damascus. He's in my household. He's a servant. So, so maybe, God, maybe, maybe he can become my son. Now, even, now remember, let's fast forward a little bit, and, and let's, let's look at the power of this covenant. We know that right after that here in uh, Genesis uh, 15, we know, that, we know that God enters into this covenant pro, pro, uh, process, takes Abram outside before he does it, and says, look at the stars of the sky. This is going to be the number of your uh, the, your descendants, and you can take it to the bank, Abram. I'm going to do this, and this is how. And, and he, then he asked, "Well, how do I know you're going to do it? How 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 can I know this will be done?" That's when he takes him through the process of cutting the animals into, and all of that. But remember, after that, let's remember the grace of God, even the Old Testament. Remember, after that, what happens? That Abram still tries to fix this process through Hagar. And he tries to fix this process of having a son with Ishmael and, and all of that. All this process is happening. And you're thinking, man, Abram still is trying to produce an alternative um, to what God's plan truly is. Genesis 15, and when you think about walking into death and, and belief in, in the Lord, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, And Abram believed in the Lord, and he trusted, and, and he accounted it to him, for righteousness. Now, I believe in the in the actual original Hebrew. Now, this I got New King James here. I don't know what your um, what what other translations do y'all have? Anybody have anything different than New King James? What does yours say? What is it? What's the whole thing say? Though, and Abram. So he says, "Believe the Lord." Anybody else got something different? All right, what does it say in the first part, though? Abram, he believed the Lord. Anybody else got anything different? 
See, that's actually different. ESV and NIV actually, I think, actually translates it more appropriately than the New King James does at this point. And it says, Abram, Abram believed the Lord. It'd be like you're, you telling your kid or somebody something and they believed you. Okay, they, were going, they, they have been given a command or some fact that you've said or a bit of truth and, and you believe, you've trusted in what they said. Because, and the reason I say that is because this isn't just a belief in God. It's not just a, a belief of Abraham going, oh yeah, God, yeah, I know you're all powerful, you're creator, you're up there, yeah. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it, okay? It wasn't that, but it was like this, this personal interaction now of God speaking to Abram directly, one-on-one, and then Abram finally comes to terms with it and says he believes the Lord. I'm finally going to grasp onto these words you're saying, God, and I'm not just believing you as, in you as a character, that you exist. So it's got to be much more. A walk into death is a very appropriate, not just a binding agreement, but a walk into death is a very appropriate con- concept here and in this context of Christianity. It's not that we just believe in a God that's there. It's not just that we believe. Listen, if you say the man upstairs you got to get more personal than that. If, if all God is to you is the big man up there, the man upstairs, you got to work on your relationship because that's not really too personal. He's not the grandfatherly figure with the long curly beard. That He's not the cosmic Santa Claus. He's not any of that. He's the personal God who comes to Abram one-on-one, and he says that I give Abram a command. I tell you the way I'm going to do it, Abram, and Abram believes the Lord. Now, if you hold your hand here, I want you to look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We'll do a little bit of Bible drill here tonight again. Romans chapter 4. Somebody read verses 1 through 3 for me out loud, really loud, so we can hear you. Okay? Read verse 4. That's okay. Okay, good. So how, do, how does this verse compare with Genesis fifteen six? Now, it's obviously referring to that verse, but how, how does it compare? What's, what's Paul doing when he writes this about Genesis fifteen six? Any similarities or any highlights that you can see there? Okay, so there was this credit. It was credited to his account. Okay, he gained righteousness, if you will, on God's command. All right, flip to uh, Galatians chapter 3, which is to the right, about five or six books, or three or four books. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses, let's read 5, 5 to 9. Somebody want to read that for us? Galatians 3, 5 to 9.
All right. So another connection here that you have is that it has nothing to do with anything of the works of the law. It has nothing to do with anything good that Abraham brings to the table, that Abram brings to the table. So, so notice this again, that in this process, if you look back at Genesis 15, 6 really quickly, Genesis 15, 6 again, if you look there, it's important to see that Abram believes God and is obedient to God before the sacrifice process ever starts. And notice once again, even leading up to this process, that, that Abram several times tries to offer something to God. said, hey God, but what about this? Hey, hey God, well what if we can make this work this way? And God pretty much has to squash all of Abram's ideas and says, no Abram, you've got to remember, you can't bring anything to the table. Now, not that God's trying to sound rude or angry or anything. Is, is there any time, any time that you remember as when your kids were little or your grandkids are now that you were trying to get something done? I know I did. As a dad, this was my big deal, especially when the kids were little. And I kind of hate it that I did this sometimes, but you'd be out in the yard and you'd really want to be getting the yard work done. And what? Here comes the kids, right? Here comes little Josiah about four feet ago. <laughs> And here comes a little Preston. Addison, she still, she still wants to do this today down in a little shop I have in the basement. She wants to go, let's build something, Dad. And I'm like, man, I'm really trying to get this work. And, and, and what? They want to come in? Well, let's do it this way, Dad. Let's do it this way. And you said, no, don't, I, I've got the, you got your way of doing things. No, if you, finally you just take it from them. <laughs> it's like, go out and play so I can get this done, right? That's what, Abram, that's what God's doing to Abram. He said, Abram, you can't bring anything to the table or this isn't going to work can't do it you have zero to offer to this process except your obedience so abram you have to come to terms and abram was really struggling with this because he really wanted to help god out he i know you unless you're more spiritual than i am you try to help god out from week to week yeah this is yeah yeah you do i do i've already done it a couple of times this week trying to help god out but god what if no no just i, I just need you to trust me just need you to trust me. The gospel was preached to Adam or to Abram. Very important. We see the process in Genesis 15. Again, it's a, a principle. It's it's a promise by God Himself. And I, and I love this statement here that God is the one who binds Himself. God puts Himself in this position because He knows that He can fulfill this covenant. God binds himself to us through covenant because he knows that he can keep his end of the deal. And I love that about God. And I, and I love that, um, as it says here, we understand that it was God alone that passed through the pieces, making his covenant immutable. Immutable means unchanging. That when God passed through those pieces, it was sealed. It was done. It's kind of like uh, they say when you buy a brand new car, what, what happens to it after you drive off the, off the lot? The value goes, boom, you lose about probably five grand when you pull off the, the lot. Because once you sign that contract, it's good, it's done. You're not changing it unless they've got some crazy policy where you can drive it for 24 hours and bring it back. 
No, it, it's unchangeable, and I love that in covenant, and you have to remember this, you always have to continue to let this seep down in the depths of your soul, especially when you're struggling and you're in a dark place, and remember that God's end of the deal does not change. And isn't it a joy to know that us in Christ, that no matter how bad we try to screw it up, that God never gives up on us because he has sealed the deal. He has, uh, again, you can't miss this. He has bound himself to us in covenant. That's why God can look at us, and Jesus can say those words, that not one person or one force in this universe can take you out of the palm of my hand. Can't do it. You can't screw it up if you're in Christ. That's where everybody wants to follow. Oh, yeah, you Baptists believe that. Oh, once saved, always saved thing. But what about, what about Johnny down there who, who joined? No, I ain't talking about you, Johnny Coffee, back there. But what about little Johnny down there who, you know, he's, he's been in church his whole life. You know, now he's out doing this. Blah, blah, blah. You can't tell me he's still saved. Well, I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. I can be a fruit inspector. Kind of tell sometimes. At the same time, I know that if we're in Christ and we're still pursuing him, we're still going to screw up from time to time. But nobody can take me out of the palm of his hand if we're truly in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Bible drill time again. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. Let's listen to this. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. How is Christ referred to in this verse? What's he referred to? Yeah, the lamb. The sacrifice, the pieces, if you will. He even became the pieces for us. Listen to what Matthew 26 says. Catch this up there. Matthew 26. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. There's that word again. When the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? 
And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on till that day when I drink it and drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. How is Jesus referred to here? Why, what did, why did he... What day did Jesus institute the new covenant? Passover, right? Now when you look at this process of Jesus himself... Think about those, ter- those words, a walk into death. What is Jesus about to take? A walk into death. One of the most brutal, even though it must, couldn't have been too far as the crow flies, dragging through the streets, the cross beam. Before he got to the streets of of, of Jerusalem, though, to bear the cross beam, what happened in the garden? Jesus tells his disciples after they've done this, and again, they're starting to get this, it's kind of loosening up their brains a little bit, and Jesus says, hey, guys, can y'all not pray? You know, you got to pray because this thing's about to happen. This is about to go down, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to be without me. I'm not going to be here with you forever. Matter of fact, I'm about to go. And then in that moment in the garden, what does it say? It says, Jesus said what? It said, Lord, if this cup, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But if it can't, and what he was saying, if this is your will, then I'll drink the cup. And you remember back to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, if you will, and they were wanting to be on the right hand. Jesus had got their mom to go ask Jesus, Jesus, can you let my son sit on your right hand? And and Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about, lady. What are you talking about? You You don't have a clue what it means to sit on my right hand and my left. You don't know what it's going to take. I'm the only one that's going to be able to receive this glory. And you know what I'm going to have to go through to get there? And in the garden, he's talking about that cup, that's a, that wrath that is going to be poured out on him, and he's going to take that cup. I'm about to have to, to decide in that moment, okay, God, I'm willing to go all the way. I'm all in. I'm Mark chapter 8. I'm, if I'm anyone who wants to come after me, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus, the Son of God, even in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe represented what we do in this baptistry, in that whole process. Some of you have seen me do that before. Um, I do that in the process of baptism. Before I baptize people, I show them the process. And I, I believe it's them, how, how we connect with that, is when you've said, hey, I've trusted Christ. I, I want to I show the world now an outward sign of my inward reality. I want to show the world a covenant symbol. I want to show the world, I want to show the congregation the gospel through this covenant symbol. I want to show everybody that I'm committed to go. And I believe that when you stand up and you've decided to be baptized, you've said to God, I'm ready to show the world 
that I'm all in. Now, you're not saying, hey, I'm ready to get in this water so it'll save me. No, you're deciding that Jesus has already saved me, but I want to show the world that I'm all in on this. I am ready to go, and I'm ready to identify and be crucified with Christ. And then what happens? You step in the water, you're buried with Christ in the likeness of his what? Death. And you're raised to walk in the newness of life. You're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to deny myself, Lord. I'm going to go the whole way. How does a person come to know? Or how does a person come to God? What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? What does he say? I am the way, truth, life. No one comes to the Father, comes to God, except through me. Y'all, this is awesome. It, that you can't come to God except going through the one who has taken the walk into death and instituted the new covenant and shed his own blood for us. You can't be in Christ. You can't be in relationship with God. You can't be in heaven without Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Now, Matthew 27 says this. It's the point where he talks about the veil. If you're right there, you can turn there. Matthew 27, verse 51. I love it. Matthew 27, verse 51 says this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, then, behold, look, pay attention, that means. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Access. You see, that walk into death proved very <clears throat> valuable in providing a way for us to walk into life. If Jesus hadn't have given himself on the cross, and as he yielded up his spirit there in verse 50, and it says he cried out again with a loud voice. They say that the veil of the temple ripped in two. They say this veil was so thick that it would have taken two two teams of oxen hooked up to each side of the veil in order to pull it apart. That's the only, that's as much force as it would have taken to pull this veil apart. That's what the scholars say. That it would have taken a massive amount of pressure. But even just the crying out of Jesus to his father saying, It is finished. This is complete. I have taken this walk into death, and I'm about to yield up my life to you, God. Immediately, God provided access to the Holy of Holies. That was big. You just didn't walk into the Holy of Holies. Remember, that's the deal where they even tied a rope around the priest's ankle so and a bell to so they could listen that bell stopped they didn't know what had happened 
if he didn't come out, they weren't going in after him. They'd pull him out by the rope. And it happens sometimes. There's now direct access. Let me read Hebrews chapter 10 to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Let's see what it says here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That veil that they represented the body. Remember at the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, This is my body that is broken for you. When he cried out on, 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 the, on the cross and he had been crucified, nails in his hands and his feet, and that veil ripped in two. Now, he, he wasn't near the temple, so he, that would have been across town. So as that veil ripped in two, that was, this, is the, this is the depth of covenant. The depth of covenant is this, that it represented that Jesus had given not only his life, but he had given his body to be crucified so that we would have access Access to the Father. When would you say in our lifetime as believers, when do we symbolically walk through the pieces in our covenant process? Now again, remember, you're going to make a promise to somebody. You take the animal. You divide it in half. You lock arms. You walk through the pieces, and you say, if I don't keep up my end of the deal, may death come to me, just as it did this animal. And may death come to you, my partner, if you don't keep up your end of the deal. Now, we know, I've, I've told you this a hundred times already in this study, that you can't keep up your end of the deal. God binds himself to us in covenant we're not a part of the agreement makers. That's why we can't negotiate with God. We can't say, but what about a different way, God? What about Buddha and Krishna and, and Joseph Smith? What about, why aren't those acceptable ways? Why, why isn't Oprah right when she says, we're all going to the same place? It, it doesn't matter what path you take to get there. That's hogwash. The Bible tells us. There's only one way. And so if we know that to be true, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to me, um, to the Father, but by me, at what point would you say, in our relationship with Christ, with our relationship with Jesus, at what point do we symbolically, symbolically, walk through the pieces in our covenant process? When do we do that? What, what would you say? When we accept him, okay, what else would you say? Anybody else? Baptism, okay. Okay. Okay, so acknowledge that we're sinners and we repent of our sin, okay. Is this a process where we walk through the pieces 
once. Think about that for a second. Any thoughts on that? Right. Can't lose it. So go back to think back to Genesis 15:6 again. And Abram believed God. Okay? So Abram exercised faith in God. Same thing we do to get. Again, that's your answer when somebody says, well, if the Old Testament people hadn't seen the cross yet, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, then how were Old Testament people saved? Were Old Testament people saved? And you say, yes, absolutely. How were Old Testament people saved? The cross hadn't happened yet. We don't even have Easter yet. They, they, get sa- they got saved the same way you got saved. You exercised faith and belief, trust in God. And he credited it to your account for righteousness. He took your sin, and you got his righteousness. It's called, it's called the beautiful exchange. The great transaction, if you will. Guess what happened to Abram? Genesis 15, 6. Abram finally gave up. Well, and this is why we identify with Abraham. After giving, hearing God's promise... Abram tried a few more suggestions, but Abram, listen to this, and don't miss this next couple of minutes here. Abram finally came to the realization that, God, my suggestions aren't good enough. My ideas aren't good enough. My, my having your name as a Hebrew and a Jewish person, it, it, it's not good enough. My fa- just being a part of my family is not good enough. Even being, being a, a righteous person on my own, being rich, wealthy, is not good enough, God. And so Abram finally came to a point in Genesis 15, 6, where he says, God, I am not good enough. I can't bring anything to the table. Everything that I've tried in this life has not worked. And so, God, I give up. Right? I knew these things were up here for some reason. Folks, if you've never gotten to this point in your life right here, guess what? You're just a good old Baptist pew sitter. You're a church goer. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian, if you got a Christian t shirt, you watch Christian movies, you got a Christian bumper sticker on your car. If you have never surrendered, to Jesus and said what? This is powerful. You never came to a point where you looked at God and you said, hey God, I've tried to bring my righteousness to the table. Didn't work. I've tried to bring my ideas and suggestions to the table. Doesn't work. I've tried to bring my wealth, my job, my family. I've tried to do all this, my family's name. I've tried to be good in the community. I've tried to serve on all this stuff in the church. It does not work. And you came to the point where Abram believed, waved the white flag, and said, God, I give up. And God says, good, Abram. That's the right answer. 
after trying to figure out life all of your life and trying to figure out the right answer, Abram, you finally have the right answer. Now, Abram, I'm going to show you by passing through these pieces, and you asleep, I don't need you for this process. So God credits him for righteousness. Abram, as what we know, is saved. He's in a relationship with God. But you know what the most encouraging part about this tonight is? It didn't take long for Abram to try to make a go at it again. Even Listen to this. Even though he was in a relationship with God, he still tried to offer suggestions. <laughs> still tried to have this son in many different ways. And the whole, his whole life, he knew God and walked with God, but he was still, he still had to be put in his place many, many different times. So my point to you tonight is that when we symbolically walk through the pieces in this covenant process is when you totally are so assured in who God is and so confident in who he is and so and so bold in your belief of who God is that he is the only one that can make this happen. Guess what? You're willing to walk through the pieces and to die to yourself and to say, hey, God, if I don't keep my end of the deal, and God stops you and says, it's okay, Jay. You can't keep up your end of the deal, but it's okay. Because listen to this, because when you drop the ball, Jay, I'm not going to take your life. Because there's already been one, one's life that's been taken for yours. Do you see that beautiful purpose of walking into death? That instead of saying, uh-oh, I've messed up, man, and now I've got I've to give my... God says, no, you don't. I've already done it for you. That's why I had to put you to sleep, Abram, or you would screw up this whole process. It's me. So when you're struggling for the rest of this week, and you're not jumping into the Word, and you're, you're struggling with some sin, know that God's trying to raise your head up so He can look you in the eye, and He can pat you on the head, and He can say, hey, guess what? Let's give it another go. Because I've already paid the price. You can shake it off. Let's keep on moving. Because I've already paid it off. I've already taken a walk into death. Let's pray. God, to say that we're indebted to you tonight is an amazing understatement. But God, even though we look at this story and know that we are completely and utterly indebted to you, Lord, you don't want us to, to see or have the burden of some debt hang over our head. You want us to see the freedom, God, that we have because you willingly paid the price for us. And the only thing you're asking us to give tonight, Lord, is ourselves over and over and over again to die to, to ourselves tonight and tomorrow, to deny ourselves tonight and tomorrow, not to have to die on a cross. We don't have to do that, Lord, you're, but you're asking us day in and day out. You're going to ask us until midnight tonight 
until lunchtime tomorrow, until midnight tomorrow night. You're asking us every single day the same question that Mark 8 says to us, that Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, if anyone wants to be a follower of me, they must deny themselves, die to themselves, take up their cross, their mission, and follow me. Time after time after time again. It's not a one-time covenant event, Lord. It's an ongoing covenant event to where daily we die to ourselves and we proclaim when we're struggling that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me and through me. So God, take the weight from us tonight. Take the burden tonight from us that we have to do this Christian life on our own. Because you're not, we don't. Help us to understand tonight that the death that we must walk into on a daily basis is dying to self. Not a physical death. Not a spiritual death. But a dying to self that produces spiritual life in us. Thank you for these people here tonight. May you help us to understand this on a deeper level that will impact our faith.